Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the fourth in our series on the five covenants of baptism. Our topic for today is to serve all people following the example of Jesus. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zentalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Deacon Bonnie, the facilitator of Central's Lenten series. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, serving all people, I'm going to be honest, this one sounds harder than some of the other ones we've talked about, especially <laughs> for a year where for many, just getting a shower is not always possible in a day. What exactly are we talking about when we're talking about serving? I think one thing to remember for ourselves is that this is an invitation, not an obligation. Okay. Now, there's this tricky relationship with grace and God's love and all of those things where invitation and obligation, the lines are blurry because really the way in which and the amount in which God loves us and gives us grace is quite compelling, much more so than me inviting you to dinner. But say your great grandma invites you to dinner, that may feel a little bit more obligating <laughs> sure. than this person that you don't know. So out of the context of that relationship, you are invited to frame your interactions with the world through this lens of service and that self-giving approach versus that self-building up. So yeah, it's not a direct obligation to figure out how to enlist 22 hours of a day into the service of others with no regard for self. But it's a framing for how do I approach my neighbor and really all of God's creation. Excellent. I think that part of what I have loved about working with Deacon Bonnie for years is this kind of journey and push towards how we do service in the world and the understanding of our call to service and how it is done in authentic ways. I had worked with some other folks who in the past who had helped kind of shift out of a charity model to a solidarity model would have been the language of my history. And Deacon really over the years has challenged me to learn how to articulate service is not just, and there's nothing wrong with serving at a soup kitchen. Right? Sure. That is a part of our work. But that service is not just going to a soup kitchen or finding a way to participate in a charity function through sending money, but that service is also about learning who our neighbor is and learning their needs and learning how to have deep relationship with them, finding a way to incorporate their story within our story, that that is as much a part of service as the actual hands-on I'm going to make sure that your lawn is mowed because you just had a surgery and you can't get your lawn mowed and you're going to start getting angry neighbors. So I'm going to go over there with my mower and make sure it works, right? It's all a part of it. It is hard to do. It is hard to live a life that's aimed for service of the whole entire community. And it is also so fulfilling, and gives such hope and meaning in life when we can actually orient ourselves to community as opposed to kind of the North American capitalistic commercial world that wants us to aim ourselves at ourselves. I hope that makes a little bit of sense where I'm headed with that. 
It does. When I think of the covenant itself and following the example of Jesus, there's a lot in there that is a wonderful example to follow. And yet when you dig deeper into what his ministry was, there's a lot that's super hard to try to figure out and to try to emulate, even though totally there are so many ways and so much need in the world at the moment that it's something we should all be aspiring to do more of, that's for sure. Well, and to remember that when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was fully God, fully divine, as well as fully human. So maybe we don't expect ourselves to be quite exactly like Jesus, but we can aspire to live lives that turn our hearts towards community rather than turn our hearts in on ourselves. Let me ask you this. How do both of you feel about the whole, what would Jesus do? Because this is also what comes to my mind when I think of this particular covenant. And that phrase has been used for good and for ill time and time again. I struggle with that phrase uh, because of who it's been used by and who it's been used against. Yep. And so I have to divorce it in my mind from sort of the pop culture, purpose-driven life campaign and think more about who was Jesus, not so much trying to predict what Jesus would do, but what are the eyes that Jesus saw the world through? Here was Jesus who always found relationship where he was told he didn't need to go looking for it. Here was Jesus who saw the valued one and the one everyone else said walk away from. So that's really focusing more on the heart of Jesus than the transactional just do it campaign that is another, can I check something off my list? And can I be performative and do a right action? I'm more interested in what's transformative than what's performative uh, and what actions will today and every day just more conform how my heart and how my vision looks more like the heart of God and looks more like the eyes of Christ than if I can come home and be able to make my list of proving myself today. Sure. Totally. And that resonates deeply for me. I don't know that the what would Jesus do has ever found a way into my experience that was not shaming and judgmental. Yeah. I think that it has shamed me if I have been tired and needed to rest and haven't been able to make the 18th phone call of the day. Just remember that braiding a whip was not outside the realm of answers to that question. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Spending hours. Table flipping, fig tree cursing. uh, There are parts of what Jesus would do that I do feel like I just bump into in myself. These glimpses of humanity. And I don't think that's what that scoldy phrase is pointing us to. Right. I think it has also historically ended up pointing us towards the specific interpretations of the actions of Jesus versus kind of that holistic life approach that Deacon Bonnie was talking about. There's a song that came into my mind as you were talking, Deacon Bonnie, about give me eyes for the brokenhearted. And it's a it's an incredible song. It's a contemporary Christian piece about just wishing to actually be able to see with the eyes of Christ. And maybe for me, it's a little bit more about that than what would Jesus do? I think that my heart tries to frame it more of how would Jesus see and how would Jesus love and and what does that compel me towards when I have capacity and ability. And I think that one of the pieces is people are super tired right now. People are exhausted here in COVID-19. 
for those who are listening years from now, we're just starting to get vaccinations really rolled out this month and starting to have more in our community who might be able to gather again, but we're still in lockdown, right? And so we're super, super tired of this. We're one year. This week marks our one-year anniversary of closing down the facility and moving online for our congregation. And I think one of the things that we forget is part of serving people is also that Jesus rested and Jesus would go away to a mountain and pray. And serving God's people is also about finding that balance of rest and care so that you can be open to hearing the stories and open to seeing with Jesus's eyes and able to have that open heart for whatever you are called then to be a part of, to change the world a little bit more into the kingdom of God. Yeah, we've talked many times about how super hard it is for this particular culture in this particular time to slow down and stop. Yeah, I'm guilty of it personally. Okay, Deacon Bonnie, I want to ask you about the video for this week. When you talked to Sarah, why did you pick her for this particular covenant? Well, I've been blessed both in this congregation and in my life to know a number of beautiful servants. And there are many ways of of living out that service. I mean, I think back just a week or two ago when Chris Brown was telling us about baking the communion bread And Chris is someone with an amazing servant's heart. She's just always there stepping into a needed role. So inviting Sarah to have this conversation, part of what drew me into that with her is that she is not obvious. Okay. Her service is genuine and deep down and permeating. And you could probably spend a fair amount of time in a passing relationship with her and not know how very much of herself she gives away. That speaks to me and it encourages me because just like that question of, you know, what would Jesus do? How can you show the world you're a Jesus follower? Make sure they notice because that's what your service should be about is getting noticed for your good works. But again, like I said, it's about the heart shape. It's about the drivers. They mean everything, the relationship and the context. And Sarah lives that. And I only know that because I've known her for well over a decade. So to know that quiet service that she does out of genuinely caring for people Mm -hmm. and out of relationship, that's what I wanted to surface in our conversation was I knew she wasn't someone who was going to bring a list of the tasks that she had checked off in the last week or month or year and the list of accolades she has gotten. But she could tell me stories of people that she loved and how she loved them and sometimes how hard it is to love them and how God showed her to love them anyway. That was my reason for that invitation. Excellent. And we're gifted with many people in the congregation that exemplify that. And it's really awesome and beautiful to invite Sarah into that is also to recognize her great wisdom. Because as she has been doing this for so many years, she has service on so many different levels interpersonal service, caring service, institutional service, and making changes at the big kind of level. There's just a wisdom in how she is able to take all of her heart and turn it from that genuine one-to-one relationship all the way to encouraging us to contact the city of Portland in this week so that we can testify to support the changes in the zoning code of our city to 
encourage more opportunities for the houseless to be treated with dignity and respect and have more resources, right? It's this incredible capacity to work on a multitude of levels. And again, we have many in our community who do that. And Sarah is one exemplary, beautiful example. Excellent. Okay, so you two in particular seem to have jobs that lean into this and give you a pass in terms of you're doing it. You're, you know, you're on that path. We're both laughing and that's not, (laughs) it's not going to be seen, (laughs) but we're both kind of chortling. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan and who walked by? Uh-huh. So do you feel like you're doing this or do you feel like you have to still put in the extra work for this? Always the extra work. It's an orientation, not a performance. It's that constant invitation for God to rewrite my heart and to open my eyes. So it's because it's not a box I tick, it's not like I can trade in my my timesheet and be like, oh, well, according to this, I did 20 hours of something that looks like service because the definition of my job as the minister of word and service must mean that my work was service. Your work is done for the day. Yeah. And I really don't believe service is a performative act. So I can do a lot of damage through service. I can do a lot of harm. I can do a lot of self-elevation and dehumanizing actions that tear down other people, all in the name of looking like I am doing service. And that constant looking for true relationship and that deep understanding that anything I am doing to meet the needs of another is about who we are together, not about them being in need and me not being in need or any of those pieces. And so it's this threading together of our human lives that takes intention. It takes watching and listening and looking for ways to fully appreciate the other person. Okay. You had mentioned earlier about Jesus dealing with people and helping people that others would have told him to turn away from. For those of us who have people that we have a hard time dealing with, in this incredibly divisive time that we're living in, what do you say? How do you help those people who would particularly look at you and say, I don't want your help? If someone said they didn't want my help, I would need to not give them my help. Okay. That would be very important. You know, in organizing, there's the iron rule that you never do for someone what they can do for themselves. You never assume for someone that you know what their needs are. You wait for them to tell you. And then when they tell you what their needs are, you don't assume you have the answer. You wait for them to tell you. So if someone didn't want my help because of whatever, because I'm queer, I've certainly had that. Uh, Didn't want my help because I'm a woman. Certainly had that. Didn't want my help because we are not in political agreement. I would respect that, not out of spite, but out of that's the orientation of a servant's heart is I don't impose myself onto you. Excellent. Yep. A hundred percent. And in the same way, if there's a point or a place at which I am working with someone and there is clear conflict or there is clear broken relationship, my servant heart will say, if I cannot do this out of authenticity and in genuine relationship with this individual, I need to step out. God will provide a pathway for that person and God will provide for them. I don't have to try to be all for all. 
And in thinking that I can be, I am part of the problem. And it is a community work that we do together. And so if there is someone that it causes great pain for me to be trying to serve them or great damage or harm in some way to myself or to them for me to try to fit that need, then that is not, the stories are conflicting then and they're not working together. We're not woven in the tapestry in a way that is going to be helpful. We're going to break threads. And that is kind of the opposite of being a servant's heart. And so exactly as Deacon said, if someone said, I don't want help from you, you let that go. To be in a genuine place to say, I cannot offer this help. It is just as authentic to be able to step back and to own that you are not the right person to do what it is that needs to be done in that situation. Healthy boundaries are part of being a servant. Yes. Uh, there's nowhere in the Jesus story where Jesus is a doormat or where Jesus loses sight of Jesus's larger objectives. And so you may have someone that you cannot agree politically with or philosophically with, but if you can operate in terms of, of shared agreements around boundaries, you can still do service with and for them. Totally. But that self-emptying is not disregarding yourself. Only when you are able to appreciate that you are a fully beloved child of God and appreciate that the other person is, no matter how frustrating, a fully beloved child of God, that's where healthy relationship can happen. And can even break across those divides, can even find the way, right? When we know ourselves well enough to set those healthy boundaries and to be able to say yes and no with authentic integrity, that's when we can build those relationships, build those collaborations, organize together and change the world. And that's, I think, what Jesus was about at the end of the day and finding ways to be in genuine relationship and love. Yeah. I want Jesus who's not a doormat as like a pin. <laughs> okay, this is all going to lead me to my last question. What is a meaningful way that someone has served you that you love as an example of Jesus? I feel like my life is overflowing with those experiences. And I'm so grateful for them. And some are, oh, you know, sort of specific, dramatic. I had a pastor in my life when I was in my teens who I say I would not have survived my teens without. Her service was presence, was just being with me and genuinely seeing me and loving me. So that was pretty huge. And a year ago, I was really sick. And there were CNAs who came in early, early in the morning after a night of fevered sweats who would wash my body and change my bedding with such amazing dignity and gentleness and kindness that I literally wept. That was my most corporeal, human, at the base level experience of service. And it was an amazing experience as someone who has always been healthy and always been privileged and always been able to mostly take care of myself and who for a couple of decades was a caregiver to people with disabilities. To have this experience of someone doing that 
hands-on service for me was incredibly humbling, not in a shaming way. I think we often confuse being humbled with, I felt ashamed. No, I just felt, I felt humbled, like looking at Crater Lake. I felt dwarfed by the size of the universe and my small place in it. And yet I got to receive this piece of beauty. Amazing. That's hard to follow. (laughs) There are these kinds of moments that Deacon is describing, these huge, big moments. And for me, oftentimes I get shaken from my eyes into the eyes of Jesus because I I oftentimes just am doing the things and continuing to get the work done. I can get caught in that, especially because I sometimes hyperfunction. And so I'm just getting the things done and doing the stuff. And then something will come along and it'll shake me. And, oh, there's Jesus kind of a moment. And oftentimes, probably because of the way that I was raised and who my mother is, that comes in the form of food. So there have been a few moments, a few key times where things have been super challenging and I've just been doing the things that need to be done and taking care of everybody and getting the stuff and da 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 And then someone will come by and drop off soup on my porch. And in that moment, I stop being Pastor Amanda or Stepmother Amanda keeping a teenager alive or spouse of Tristan helping to keep the household running. And I stop being the chaplain to a wide community of diverse and awesome people. And I'm just Amanda being given soup so that I'm reminded to eat and that I matter as a child of God. And that kind of a moment shakes me out and reminds me of Jesus' presence pretty, pretty powerfully. And they're not moments when I've asked for like food, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're moments when when people have just been like, hey, I'm swinging by and I'm bringing you this. And that, yeah, I can think of many of those moments in the last decade where that has happened and that that will reach me in really powerful ways that I can't even articulate a proper thanks for. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda and Deacon Bonnie, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about how to serve all people. I look forward to sitting down with you next week on The Next Covenant. As do we, and thank you all for joining us and for listening along. It is a gift to be a part of these conversations. We encourage you to come and join us on Wednesday nights if you would like to, to have more conversation about these covenants. We gather at 7 p.m. Pacific time in order to have conversation and to sing some music. You are also encouraged and invited, if you wish, to come join us on Sunday mornings at 1015 or to watch the live stream on Facebook where you'll get to see those videos and hear more about these covenants in our lives in these days. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>